Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Liberty. This is the voice of Liberty for a new generation. And we have this week our roundtable back. Uh, this week we have uh, Tex Fisher. He is Great Lakes Regional Director for Turning Point USA and he is single-handedly going to destroy the United States Postal Service one day. At least that's what he thinks. And we have Michael Esch, who is a writer at Liberty.me and the former Young Americans for Liberty uh, president of the chapter of the University of Cincinnati. Gentlemen, welcome. This week we are going to be going over the Obama legacy. And while all of us here more or less generally agree that it is something that is more negative than positive, there will be some positive aspects that we will try to conjure up, even if some of them aren't as uh, necessarily serious as others. But we do have some things to, to cover. Uh, I want each of you, gentlemen, to kind of just give me a summary on, on what each of you think of the, the past eight years and how either positive or negative of an outlook it has on the country. And um, Tex, we can start with you. Well, thanks for having me on, Caleb. I appreciate the invitation. Um, I would say my overall thoughts on the Obama presidency and his legacy would be um, sort of hypocrisy, especially considering you know, the, the sort of things he campaigned on, very pro-civil liberties, anti-war, uh, anti-debt um, type of candidate, and in a very short amount of time, how he became um, essentially just a, a left-wing George Bush in the sense of expanding military intervention, um, abusing uh, civil liberties, especially with the NSA, um, Fourth Amendment issues, um, national debt. That's something he campaigned very heavily on. He called it unpatriotic, um, the amount of, of debt George W. Bush added during his presidency. And um, in Obama's eight years, we've seen the national debt completely double. So um, significantly more than George W. Bush added, more than all 43 of his predecessors combined. Um, so if I could, if, to sum up his entire presidency and his legacy, I would use the word hypocrisy. Michael, is your uh, statements more or less similar to Tex, or do you have a, a slightly different outlook on that? Um, I, I agree with everything that he just said. I um, have a more of a, um, to add to that, um, there is a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to um, views here at home versus abroad. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, calling out during his campaign of the foreign policies of Republicans and see his drone program over the Middle East. Um, I think I was reading today that uh, every eight minutes he dropped a bomb of his presidency. Um, and uh, so, so the Middle East expanded and then it, it, a large part of the the governments over there became um, dysfunctional and we've seen chaos and um, uh, in Iraq, um, we've seen destabilization in Afghanistan and in, um, and in um, Benghazi and Libya. Libya. Um, yeah, and we see that the, the growing fear of um, ISIS and ISIS gaining more and more control over in the the Middle East and um, a lot of the world powers disagreeing and it, it's coming kind of to a, a standpoint as he gets more and more aggressive towards Russia towards the end of his presidency. Um, but I, I digress on that. Um, then 
I, I think also you see a lot of um, hypocrisy also with, you have a lot of whistleblowers during the Obama presidency and he campaigned largely on being transparent mm-hmm. and yet he incriminated more whistleblowers than, than any other president. Um, and again, on the debt, increasing the debt and increasing executive powers. Um, I think liberals are now starting to realize the, the error of their ways now that they're passing the baton off to Trump. It's amazing what can happen when, uh, just a little transition of power can, can do to change people's minds and mindset. Um, I, I'm glad that you touched on, um, some of the, some of the things, cause we're going to touch on all of that today, uh, here on this episode. But, uh, first I, uh, and basically throughout this episode, we, there are four ba- big points and four big pillars, um, on the negative side of things that I want to touch on. Um, and I think Michael and, and Tex, I think both of you more or less hit each of those points. Um, and the first of those is on the economy. Whenever uh, President Obama came into office, he 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 seemed like he was to a majority of Americans, to a lot of Americans, he seemed like he was the savior that we had always needed. Um, and it wasn't until after he he got in that that Americans started taking a little bit. Um, of a second look and saying, not just in him, but in, in a second look in what, uh, what limited government principles actually are and how it works in relation to the economy. Um, and I want to get your take on this. Uh, we'll, go with, we'll go with you uh, first, Tex. Um, what do you think the most damning and damaging aspects of the Obama economy has been and, and the realistic outlook versus the the smoke and mirrors kind of outlook that has been portrayed by those in Washington. Yeah, I actually think one of the more, um, I guess, negative effects Obama's had on, on the economy, not directly on the economy, but more lending credence to the, um, to the movement as a whole, um, which I consider to be very economically damaging, which is the, um, like the fight for 15 groups um, and, and those types of people. He's really given them, um, over the past eight years, he's been a very tireless advocate for those sort of issues, um, which, I mean, it's just basic common economic sense that those, um, in the short term, that might help a few people out, but it's not going to take long until people start seeing their hours cut. Um, prices will immediately increase. Um, just just basic economics. And um, we've had eight years where the president of the United States has been advocating for those sort of policies um, on the federal level and increase in the federal minimum wage, um, in addition to the state and local level. Um, I know several several cities across the country have recently um, set into force like massive increase in the minimum wage. I don't know what the exact number like Seattle had, but um, I think they implemented that last year or in late 2015. Um, I think they even increased and it, it does go a long 15. way to, was it more than 15? I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the actual number, um, but you know, it, know it does of, go a long the way. the cities, it's like, it, it's, it's like it only starts at 15 and then it gradually increases as, as, as the years go on. Gradually increases. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's even worse. <laughs> um, especially with those type of like local ballot initiatives and stuff like that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. Um, you know, where I live in Youngstown, that's not an issue we really have, but um, having the president of the United States on, on, 
on your side, maybe even like hitting the campaign trail, cutting ads for those type of issues is, is an incredibly powerful thing. Right. Um, like if, if you're trying to, to enact that sort of change and having the president on your side is um, pretty much the greatest political asset you can have, um, especially at the local level, um, that, that really does travel a long way. So I think I think his support of that um, in the long run will be incredibly damaging since it's it's really legitimized all of those um, all of those efforts over the past eight years, and especially within the past, I'd say three or four years, I think that's become even more of an issue that we hear about more often um, than even at the beginning of his presidency. And uh, uh, Michael, is is there anything that that specifically stands out to you that is necessarily just in particular something that is astonishing that that people tell as a success of the of the Obama administration that you just kind of look at and you scratch your head and like what are you talking about this this is a complete and utter failure um, I think um, I, I know this is kind of a generic answer that uh, but a lot of people have been saying over the last eight years but I think that they're going to stop saying in the next four years is that the Affordable Health Care Act has ruined health care and it will continue to ruin health care. And the reason that I say that, especially with the Congress or the Senate just saying that they're going to repeal it, is that if you actually look at the legislation that they put forth, they're repealing but not replacing or they're not they're not doing anything with it for the next three to four years. So what we have currently will stay in uh, effect till the next election, because what, what's gonna end up happening is all the people that have gotten healthcare because of the Affordable Healthcare Act and with uh, adding uh, people onto the plans through um, pre-existing conditions, because everybody talks about how they don't like Obamacare, you ask them why they don't like it and they say they say i don't like the cost and the increased cost cost of it but then you say what would you change about it and nobody has their answers because nobody wants to say we have to take away pre-existing conditions which right. is the primary cause of increased costs right. um i mean when you have my my cost for my family's health insurance was was 200 before obama when Obama took office, and now our our health insurance premium every month is six hundred dollars. My deductible used to be uh, under a thousand, and now it's five thousand. It's um, and the amount of drugs that are being covered and and things that are covered uh, have gone down, and we will continue to see this um, because Trump is a is a populist president and it will not be popular to take away pre-existing conditions mm -hmm. and, and you, t you touched so we, a little bit for on a long-term effect right Go yeah, on. And, and you touched a little bit on that the last last time um uh, you were on with us on uh on the last round table back in december when we were talking about um trump and and the possibilities of him looking forward is that He's a populist president, so whatever is popular at the time, will he will go with the flow. It's not necessarily good that way, but that's probably what's going to happen. Exactly. So you see Rand Paul putting forth a, a budget in the Congress to balance the budget, and it's being shut down, even though we're having a dominant Republican 
Senate is being shot down because they're not serious about balancing the budget. And right. so as when we look at the Affordable Health Care Act, which is a huge drag on the economy, I don't foresee uh, anything fixing it anytime soon. I think it's going to get have to get a whole lot worse till people realize that we have to do away with it. Um, and I think so. I think really... that's the most damaging, damaging effect of his presidency. Right. I think that's a really good point. And um, we're going to touch on healthcare a little bit uh, further here, uh, just a little bit later in the episode. But one of the things I wanted to touch on real quick was, uh, in talking about unemployment and the relation between and, and this is this is going to be i think something that um historians the way that history books are being written currently right now um i think this is going to be something that historians are going to look back at and say look at this this is what success looks like this is the success of the obama administration the same way they did with fdr the way that his stimulus package went through the way that um, unemployment numbers went down, they're going to look back at that and say that that's a true success. And I think that that is one of the uh, the biggest falsehoods and straight-up lies that I have ever seen um, in this aspect of his administration. Because, as we know, that the unemployment numbers are the way that they are currently... Um, red it doesn't necessarily cover everyone who's unemployed it just covers everyone who is adamantly looking for work uh that has been in the past four weeks and if you haven't been looking for work because you've given up well then you know you don't you don't get counted but i think what also should be um pointed out and is incredibly important that we aren't talking about right now and this is the real disconnect uh, in in understanding of economics and just basic economics, I'm reading um, right now economics in one lesson by by uh, Henry Hazlitt, and it, something that I think struck out to me was that in in chapter ten of of what he wrote, he talks about um, employment versus productivity, and that everyone this and this holds completely true today that everyone is fixated on the employment aspect. But employment is merely just a means to the end that is production. And because that we are not focused on the production aspect, we have – sure, we have lower unemployment rates even whenever you um, take into account uh, all the – everyone that is actually unemployed, not just, not just those who, who have been looking for work in the past four weeks. But when you take into account all of them, it's still a little bit lower, but – Unemployment is not the same as, as of national productivity because a lot of these people are are just finding part time jobs just to just to just to get by, and I think that will be one of the more damaging aspects of his administration, not just because it's it's a it's a falsehood, but it's also because it continues the false rhetoric that people like Paul Krugman are constantly spewing out in in whatever column whatever trash column that he has to write up in in the weeks to come do you agree with me on that either one of you yeah absolutely um another thing i would you know you talked about unemployment the unemployment rate um something i think is often ignored 
that doesn't that people don't really pay attention to outside of campaign season would be the the labor force participation rate. Right. I just did a little bit of research um, earlier this morning, actually, just to look at the, the difference in the labor force partic participation rate um, from, you know, over the years of Obama's presidency. So it's dropped nationally by, I think, close to 5%, if I remember correctly. I think it was yeah, close it's, to 67% it's, it's nearly, office, and it's down it's to nearly like 100,000 100, people do not have a job. That's a lot of people, or at least a mm -hmm. full-time job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're counted. They're just not counted in that um, unemployment rate statistic. So it is misleading. Um, right. You you have to have a, a full picture on on that entire thing. Um, one of the things that I think was one of the biggest hypocritical things that, uh, quite honestly, pisses me off because this was one of the things that if you were someone like like us or like uh, like people like us back in two thousand eight looking at the Obama administration, or even even as, as was shown in the movie, Edward Snowden, um, people looked at what he was saying about um, civil liberties. They looked at what they were saying about uh, uh, the Constitution. And, I mean, he was, he was a constitutional law professor, for crying out loud. You know, th those were things that we would have looked at and said, you know what, I may not agree with him on X, Y, and Z, but at least we are going to have... A constitutionalist in the White House compared to the past eight years where George uh, George W. Bush has been completely overlooking it. I think that's something that even if I was a, a flaming left-wing liberal, I would be genuinely upset about because that is, that is one thing that he almost immediately went completely 180 on. Uh, and Michael, I, I want to get get your opinions on this. What, what do you think um, is the biggest black eye on his civil liberties record? I think his his biggest black eye on on civil liberties has to be the the persecution of um, whistleblowers, mm -hmm. um, and especially in aspect to Edward Snowden, where I I know that the it gets kind of sticky because of the way that that Snowden and even Manning went about releasing these documents. Um, but I think anytime somebody's a whistleblower, that it's sticky the way that they whistleblow. Because if they, you go through the routes that you're supposed to go through, you get shut down, and, and the I was, public I was, doesn't. Yeah, I was I was just going to say that because no. it's not it's it's not promising. You know, I yeah. mean, I'm sure Snowden has looked at the legal ways of doing that, and he's like, you know what, that's not worth it. You know, they yeah. they're not protected the way that they they proudly proclaim that they are. Why would why would I want to do that? It's it's better just to go this way because I'm going to be publicly persecuted that way. And I think that if you look at the way that that what sparked Snowden um, is that when Obama came into office. He had come into the office saying that I'm going to protect your civil liberties. I mean, that was things during, um, you know, pre-president Obama. Um, he was running, and that was one thing I agreed with him on. I agreed with him on civil liberties, you know, protecting freedom of speech, protecting um, uh, our Fourth Amendment rights to our privacy. Um, and I, I agreed with him on these things. And, right. and yet when 
Snowden comes out and says, oh, but when Obama took office, these powers expanded. And the metadata of everybody was expanded. And um, the, the abuses of invading our privacy was expanded. And I think that, um, I think between that and then the transparency, I think those two combined are what have been his, his uh, most attack on our civil liberties has been. I think that he would have liked to see something on guns, but I think that when he, anytime he ever said the word guns, uh, the the armies of Republicans and conservatives <laughs> united and and would not let anything. They don't give a, don't give a lick mean, about the rest of the Constitution, but at least they got that but, one. I mean, yeah, I mean, like he had no, I think he would have done more with guns. Oh, I but I, I don't, I mean, he couldn't. There was it wasn't popular. It it was a caused riots. It just wouldn't. It would not have been the thing to do. Um, and so he couldn't go after that one. Mm-hmm. And, no, um, I, I completely agree because uh, I, I I constantly say that you know it's it's because of gridlock. You know people bash gridlock, but honestly, it's the only thing that's that's really kept us from going the much darker route that we would have gone in the past four years because we've had a divided government. Uh, I mean, our constitution though is set up for gridlock. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not only, a bad thing. It's not yeah. at all a poor thing. It's, um, it's meant that, that nothing could get through or get accomplished unless majority of people agreed on it and it followed the law. So, I mean, it, it is, supposed to be as convoluted as possible so that we don't get tyranny right I would, because I would... if they can just pass things continuously without any recourse then you would see tyranny flourish right it's much better to to strike down um what was the coolidge said it's much better to strike down bad laws than to pass good ones yes i wholeheartedly agree with that yes 100 percent um, and I think one of the aspects that uh, – I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Snowden, but I also think that one of the most forgotten scandals that occurred during his administration uh, – because in 2013, we kind of had this summer of, of scandals that just one right after another, right after another. Because uh, we had the IRS that started in, I think, like June or so, and then right after that, the one that I think everyone has forgotten was the way that – the Justice Department was targeting journalists and targeting – because you had like the AP, you had James Rosen of Fox News. All these guys were on this on this list of, of people to watch and to target, and I think that did uh, incredible amount of damage to the state of, of the freedom of the press that I don't see a whole lot of people talking about it on either side. Um, and Tex, I, I want to get your reaction to this. Why do you think, why do you think that it's kind of just glossed over really by both sides, both the right and the left? Um, this incident specifically, or just more in general, his civil, civil liberties, um, sort of abuses. And oh, well, a little bit of both. I, I, I want you to, to touch on that and then go into some of the aspects that you think, um, that he touched on that just he com- was completely horrible on 
Right. Um, so I, I do think a, a good bit of that could could have something to do with um, obviously the media is not going to report on it um, because the media he sort of the media sort of for a long time, I think, viewed him as like their guy. Um, you know, you, you heard Trump talk a lot about the, the biased media and you hear conservatives lament the mainstream media um, quite often. And there is there is a bit of truth that I don't um, don't necessarily agree with those type of arguments wholeheartedly. I do think there there is an element of truth that I think that does contribute to um, sort of the glossing over of, of his many scandals. And, you know, recently you, you heard him say that there, he's very proud there hasn't been a, a terrorist attack on U.S. soil during his presidency. Um, he realistically, yeah, yeah this scandal free, like that's not something, you know, you, you watch these programs, whether it be CNN or, um, you know, what have you. And, you know, these people say those sort of things and they get away with it. There is no pushback. There's no, um, like they don't call them out on the fat, like call out these people making these ridiculous statements and, um, you know, provide facts to, to the, to the contrary, they just sort of sit back and let them talk. And well, thanks for, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Have a great day um, without any real accountability or anything like that. So I think that that mentality and the, the inherent bias within our media, uh, media organizations uh, does contribute to that uh, to a certain extent. Um, and more broadly, speaking of Obama's legacy on civil liberties, um, something that also I've noticed, I don't think I've heard very many people talk about at all. Um, you know, we talked about the NSA and how um, he campaigned on, um, you know, very pro Fourth Amendment, very pro right to privacy sort of positions, um, anti-patriot act. And if you look at his, um, his budgets for national intelligence programs, um, fiscal year 2008, uh, the National Intelligence Program budget was 47.5 billion. Um, right now, it's up to 53 billion. Um, that's including cuts coming uh, coming through the sequester. Um, I mean, who knows where it would be without that? But he's he's actually increased spending on on those institutions such as CIA, um, DIA, uh, NSA being the most egregious um, out of all of those. So um, just that's startlingly hypocritical to you, know, you end up increasing the budgets of those programs which there's you know the nsa that basically their sole purpose at this point um is to violate the constitution um, but yes yeah, <laughs> on american citizens process so yeah you just you're just giving them more and more money every year um you can't really claim to be any kind of advocate for the fourth amendment when you're increasing the funding of the or of the institutions which do nothing but um but attack those civil liberties uh, Tex, do you think that um, I, I, I kind of assume a little bit um, what your answer is going to be with this, but uh, when this episode airs, of course, it'll be one day away from the inauguration. Do you think that Obama will pardon Snowden the way he gave uh, Manning clemency? Uh, unfortunately, no, I, I don't expect that. Um, something I, I think you've mentioned before, and probably a lot of people share this sentiment, um, and again, ties back to the to the legacy of hypocrisy. Um, you know, he pardons um, Chelsea Manning because he sort of exposed a lot of wrongdoing of the Bush administration, but he refuses to pardon um, Edward Snowden because he exposed the wrongdoings of his own administration. Um, so it's you know it's blunt partisanship. Um, Say again, Mike. Yeah, I don't think that yeah that that opinion is not not right. unique. I think that's something we all agree on and we can all recognize yeah. pretty pretty easily. Um, but unfortunately, no, I, I don't think he'll be pardoning uh, Edward Snowden. 
do you have any uh, different opinions, Michael, or do you think it's basically more or less like, yeah, he's 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 stuck in Russia for a little bit longer? Yeah, um, I mean, you have um, that's where I mean the whole reason is exactly um, what Texture said is that is that he he's just releasing him because. He released stuff bad about another president. I mean, if he was being intellectually honest, then he would have to pardon Snowden also. Mm-hmm. Um, you have I, – I fear for what's going to happen to Snowden because Trump and 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 Putin are very close together. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. I know that Snowden in recent years has or, – and last a couple months said that he's open to coming back to the United States – um to to be put on trial i don't know how trump will yeah he's he's always he's always been open as long as it's a a, an honest and a fair trial that he just doesn't believe that he uh will get under certainly the obama administration and trump has trump's words about Snowden has been no less promising necessarily i mean i I think he's last year he's straight up shooting him Yes. Yeah, I think at one point he mentioned during the campaign, uh, when asked about it, he said, we still have the death penalty, don't we? Or something along those lines, which was very, very concerning to me. Something along those lines. I don't know what we have, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's something. I've heard other people have said we have the death penalty. I don't know. They're saying it. I'm not saying it. I'm just repeating it. <laughs> and you know, the, the worst part about this is that when Snowden released his documents um, through journalists, he released documents that have not – they've been damaging to national security for uh, policy purposes, mm-hmm. um, but they weren't damaging to military or um, secret services, um, CIA, FBI. Any of their personal lives were actually harmed in the release of his documents. Yet you have uh, Chelsea Manning, when he released documents, there was actually our – U.S. military Marines have lost their lives because some of the documents that were released gave away certain personnels. I mean, so you you have – if anybody should be pardoned, it should be it, Snowden, it, it, if that is going to be your reasoning. I mean, I agree with what Chelsea Manning did. I mean, he exposed a lot of corruption with the drone program. Right. Um, and we would not know about uh, the in, uh, how ineffective – that program is and how abusive that program is without him. Um, So I do think he did some good, but there is definitely some, he's not as um, politically narrow as Snowden was uh, Mm -hmm. as, as uh, I should say politically principled as Snowden was with his, his release of documents. Um, I I think that's, I think that's a very good thing to, uh, to, to point out because for someone who quote didn't do it the right way I think he of all people has more more the right to claim that that he uh, released what he released purely for the sake of transparency and for the sake of of reform more than anyone else yes and he and he clearly articulates that better than everybody else easily um By I mean far, he, yeah. he yes and that's that's what's so upsetting about the whole thing, is that I don't know. There's there's just 
it's very frustrating <laughs> when it comes to these two and the differences that they were done. And then the way that Obama went about releasing him and saying that I'm releasing Chelsea Manning because, you know, he did this to expose corruption and he did this to, for transparency purposes. And then you ask him about Snowden and he's like, um, no, uh, who was that? What are we talking about? There was no scandals during my administration. Yeah, who is exactly. the Snowden? Exactly. And, and, you know, like, just... like Tex brought up, I, it, it, I fully believe that it goes back to just one thing is that, um, Manning, when he released it, it put a black eye on the Bush administration. And when Snowden released it, it put a black eye on his own administration. And I fully believe that that's the only reason is because he, it's not anything about principle. It's about his own name. And that if, if he can make himself look better, that's why he that's what he will do um uh, yes and i do think these last these last few weeks are focused on on making his legacy as popular and as positive as as he can so he's trying to go back to campaign promises to say that he completed campaign promises so he said he was going to shut down gitmo well, he didn't shut down Gitmo. He's releasing <laughs> tons and tons of detainees. Um, and and he's not releasing, I don't know, it's just not done the way it should be done. <laughs> um, right. Because I'm all for shutting down Guantanamo Bay. It's just that I am there, too, are, yeah. there are some dangerous people in Guantanamo Bay. And something needs to be done with it. You don't just like get rid of it and then just let everybody go free. No, absolutely. Um, I mean... Uh, my my biggest or my biggest complaint about Guantanamo Bay is I think what you know candidate Obama at least believed in not so much President Obama but just the fact like these are these are are people and they are endowed with with certain rights the way that all people are it's not just limited to Americans and that they should stand trial and not just be held there indefinitely um, but. He's going the complete opposite route and saying, okay, you can go. When they are, while they're people and they do have rights, they're still dangerous and they shouldn't be around other other people that way. Uh, Tex, do you have any other thoughts on um, on Obama's particular record in, in, uh, in, in civil liberties? Um, the only other, only other thing that hasn't already, I think, been, um, been mentioned would be um, his appointment. As we know, he had a, a pretty famous filibuster by, I think, I can speak for all of us and say one of our favorite United States senators, Rand Paul, um, regarding certain certain nominees and their support of of the of the drone program, which I know Michael uh, mentioned a little while ago. Um, it's just you, you know he this it seems like the second he got into office, um, he sort of turned into a Democratic George Bush in, reg in that regard. And I don't know, like I, I don't know why why a that is. Only, only he can tell us why he changed. Yeah, he can he only he can tell us why he changed his mind on that, but. Um, it is it is disappointing. Um, I think, from my perspective, as I look back on the Obama presidency, I would say that's the, the thing I'm most disappointed in, even more so than, than Obamacare, um, even the national debt, but just the how quickly he abandoned his supposed principles on protecting civil liberties, especially Fourth Amendment, um, right. due process, and just like simply not droning people without any kind of due process. I think that's a pretty basic. Um, common sense one that I think most people would agree with. Mo you would well, you think. think most people would agree with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you would think I, that. I would say that's my, yeah, that's that's my number one um, disappointment is uh -huh. how quickly he abandoned his, his principles regarding uh, civil liberties. 
especially in the foreign okay. policy aspect. Uh, great. Um, moving on just a little bit, uh, I, I do, I do want to go back a little bit um, and touch on something specific that, that Michael brought up uh, a little bit earlier when we were talking about the economy, and uh, that is health care. And I think that, uh, that he is absolutely correct in that this is one of the most damaging uh, aspects. Maybe not so much hypocritical, but certainly damning. Um, because I think this has one of the biggest black eyes, and and quite honestly, this this quite honestly is one of the reasons why um, Hillary Clinton lost in the final hour because of the of the, of the prices of premiums that were released um, there within the last month, and people just looked at this and said, I I cannot do this. This is um, this is impossible for me. I, what do you think, um, Tex? I, I want to go to to you on on this. What do you think that? Because um, we know that this is that it's what he wanted more or less this this law. But how far do you think he would have gone if if it wasn't for like we were talking about earlier, a certain gridlock that that actually stopped it from from occurring? Um, I I think if if he had gotten his way completely, we would see something very similar to um, NHS in the UK or Canada's um, healthcare. But I I think Obamacare in many ways was a compromise, um, and um, I honestly do think it was designed in part was designed in part to fail um, with the intention of you, know, you, pr you provide um, health insurance for all, all these people. I, I don't really think it's providing a whole lot. You know, people. Um, particularly in the administration, brag about all the new Americans which got health uh, health insurance, but you know I don't think you can really brag about you know increase you know the number of people with with a certain product or service increasing when you uh, mandate it by law. I don't think that really, yeah when they don't you don't have a choice otherwise you get fined. Um, I wouldn't really say that you can take credit for that. Um, but yeah, I think I think Obamacare was designed to fail. You, pro you provide coverage for all these people, um, knowing that in the long term that this this program um, is going to end up collapsing under its own weight. Because um, Paul Ryan actually spoke about this pretty eloquently the other night in his town hall. Um, is you know as the prices of these premiums go up, um, the healthy people, the younger people, will start to just opt out because it'll be more economically feasible. Um, and it'd just be better for them to pay the fee or the fine or the tax or whatever you want to call it than it is to keep, thing. yeah, and than it is to keep, you know, paying for, for health insurance. And so, you know, the, the healthcare system, the way it's set up now really needs the young and the healthy, um, to, to be in the insurance pool to sort of balance the, the older and the less healthy. Um, and so as those people begin to opt out, the cost is just going to become higher and higher and higher with no end in sight. Um, and I think that was, you know, these people aren't stupid, you know, um, so they, they had to know this long term and they think, okay, this is a good temporary solution. We can cover more people, um, get people more, you know, to the point where this is the societal norm that government is providing and assisting people in getting health insurance. And then one it inevitably collapses and we can say, well, this didn't work. Our only option now is single payer universal government health care. And right. I think that that was probably the long term goal um, since just the political realities of of our society at the time were not as open to um, to universal single payer, single payer health care as um, a lot of other countries, particularly in Europe, um, Canada being a good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I, I think that's that was probably the the underlying um, recognition, maybe not motivation, but recognition that this is going to fail, and this is just the first. This is a, a half step towards our our ultimate goal, um, which would be um, universal healthcare. Uh, Michael, I, you you were talking about this earlier when we were talking about in the economy and how um, it's one of the larger black eyes that he he has on on that issue. Now that we have a Republican administration, this is one of the key signatures of his legacy, and a lot of Republicans are touting pretty proudly that this is, among other things, one of the things that will vanish along alongside with. Uh, a lot of other aspects of his legacy when Trump gets into office. But how much of that do you think is actually true? Um, because I, I know we, you, you were talking a little bit about, like, like you said earlier, he was a populist president. Um, how much do you think it is actually true that Republicans are actually going to stick to their, to their uh, limited government principles and, and repeal this the way it should be repealed? Um, well, first off, I don't think that Republicans have a limited government principle. Um, <laughs> I, I just I think that's a libertarian philosophy, and yeah. I don't I don't even know if libertarians got a bunch of power if they would stick to that either. I mean, it's it's still to be to be tested. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of said that we'd you see. Know, I mean, we see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that. Um, Limits I think that, yeah, and in in that I see that uh, majority of Obamacare will probably stick. Um, you'll see headlines that it's being repealed. People will get scared. They'll be reassured that the best parts of Obamacare will be stay intact. Uh, we will basically, I, my, I foresee, we will get what Hillary Clinton promised us. That's that's what I think that Trump will give us. I think that maybe we might get um, the removal of, of state boundaries on insurance, um, which, which might, um, I mean, in theory, would drive down prices. But when you have, I mean, that in an it's economic the theory, right way, right. yes, it, it, you're right. It would drive down prices. But just like importing goods would, should drive down prices also, but if you start putting tariffs on everything, then right. – then it, it kind of skews it because you could say, well, all these imports are super expensive. Yeah, well, they're artificially expensive. Just like right. health insurance could become, you're like, oh, we took away state boundaries and everything, all the prices went up. So that must mean that the more, more options I have, the higher the prices, which isn't the truth. It's it's a false truth because there's you're not taking into account all the regulations that are coming with it. And as we've seen with Obamacare, I mean, we're talking about thousands and tens of thousands of pages of regulation. Um, it, it's you cannot use free market principles to get what the resolution of this this is going to be because the regulations mess with the formula of free markets. And unless those are gone, I know he says that a lot of regulations are going to be gone uh, during his administration, but. Maybe certain ones will, but I, I just don't see how it'll be uh, completely the way he's talking about. I see it's very, let's trade this one for that one. Yeah, I mean, and Trump's got his own, you know, Obama came in with his, his billion-dollar stimulus right when he came in. Yeah. 
to stimulate the economy, right. to make everybody feel happy. And Trump's got his stimulus plan. Mm-hmm. He wants to build his wall and he wants to restructure. Uh, he wants to work on infrastructure in the United States. I mean, that is his stimulus plan. And guess what? It is way bigger spending than Obama's. I mean, mm-hmm. Trump's going to spend trillions, trillions of dollars um, right. on on this thing. And and what are I mean? You see Republicans saying we're going to put Americans back to work. Well, it's not the government's responsibility to put people back to work. Right. It's people's responsibility to make work for themselves and it's government's job to protect those business owners rights to start their own businesses it is not the government's right to protect their business from failing or their 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 basic income it's not the government's role to do that and trump is taking on the role of being america's boss and and i think that's something that he's he's he feels very natural about because um, as I've told people before the election, why I, I just, I just, he says a lot of good things sometimes. Um, a lot, he gives people a lot of lip service, but at the end of the day, he knows how to be an executive and he likes being an executive and that's what his fallback role will be. Not, not liberty, not limited government, but just being a strong, powerful executive. I think that's that's honestly going to be, I think, one of the, the trademarks of his administration. I don't think it's necessarily going to be good. And it has uh, – the the foundation of that has been um, forged by this administration because right now all the powers that uh, President Obama has abused, he's now handing to Trump. Now the left sees that as, as a bad thing now, but they were pretty quiet mm-hmm. about it earlier. Uh, and that is a pretty good transition point because um, one of the last things that uh, I want to talk about before getting into some of the far and few between positive things that, that we have to talk about, um, I, I really want to talk about his foreign policy legacy because I think this one, like his civil liberty legacy, is one of the most hypocritical and it's one of – I think it's, it's one of the uh, aspects of his administrations that – that even Republicans don't want to talk about honestly because it it makes them look damaging. Because I see that uh, the president's foreign policy in the past eight years has been far more hawkish than anybody wants to admit on the right. Anybody. Everyone, the the talking point is always that Obama's a weak president, that uh, that he he is not you know he's too afraid to do the things that need to be done and i just don't see how that's how that's accurate i think it's quite the opposite of that um michael i want to get your your take on this why 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 do you think that uh a that obama flipped so quickly on his foreign policy uh rhetoric uh from being a dove to a hawk and then why do you think that Republicans are so are, are seem to have rose-colored glasses in looking at it. I think that uh, for the main part, I think the people that are in control of our military um, largely stay stay the same. Mm-hmm. And so when you see the administration change, you see, I mean, uh, what do they say is is the amount of people that are actually elected into government roles? Isn't it like 
Is it less than 5% of government employees are actually elected? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's really small. Yeah, and I, I think no that I think largely you have the same quote unquote experts that are in charge of, of different areas. And I think that, um, and I think a, a lot of the time that when a person's running in a campaign, they're looking at polls and they're wanting to see what is most popular. And it's always popular with Americans to not go to into foreign wars. We are always against foreign wars. And so whenever you see a president, I mean, you can even look at Hillary and Trump. I mean, as much as we want to say that Trump was all pro-military and pro-war and are a pro-big military, um, he 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 has talked about bringing troops home. He has talked about ending um, conflict, like ending our involvement in conflicts in the Middle East. He has talked about he's bashed the Iraq War. He bashed Libya. I mean, he's talked good about Russia when Hillary was talking about going to war with Russia. I mean, you have the president who was the least actually foreign violence win. And this is the same thing that happened with Bush and McCain. It's the same thing that happened with Obama. I mean, I mean I'm sorry. Uh, the same thing that happened with Obama and McCain and the same thing that happened with o Obama and Romney. I mean, it's the same and thing. I, and I mind you that uh, um, if you go back and look at some of the debates back all the way back in 2000 with uh, Bush and Gore, Bush was the dove. George W. Bush was was the one that was against war more than Al Gore was. And so I think what we see is talking points. And so once they become president and they see – themselves as the first world leader and that they are they can actually they have the military power to stop abuse that's happening across the world i think that there is enough people that are in power there that influence the president to change either they don't really believe that uh whatever they said their foreign policy was or they have so much pretty good chance <laughs> Which it is, and then you have, but then you have the other part of it is that these these military powers that influence them, these quote unquote experts that are influencing them, are moving them towards being involved in all these areas. And I do think that it it, it would be hard, I think, for any of us, as much as we want to critique the foreign policy and I will critique it because I, I think that what we're doing is wrong. And I think that we're causing more problems than we're creating. But I, I think that being in that position is probably a little bit harder than we, we like to make it out to be, because I think that if you were sitting in the oval office and you saw and got the reports of everybody that was dying in Aleppo and that were being bombed and were being all these innocent civilians. And you knew that you could actually do something that would just stop it, at least for the moment. Mm -hmm. And you, you would actually start to actually contemplate doing something about it. Um, and I think that's, I, I, I do think that that's something that's hard and I will always be critical of our, our foreign interventions, but I do think that, I do think it's realistic that 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 they're put in really hard positions when it comes to those things. It's because I think the you, 
it takes someone of, of incredible, incredible principle to be able to look at something and see the raw emotion of something and then look at it logically. That, that takes someone of yes. incredible fortitude to be able to do that. And I, I don't yeah. think that, that Barack Obama was was that kind of person with, with that kind of um, with that kind of just raw principle. Uh, like, for example, if, if Ron Paul got in it, I, I feel like that's someone who probably, um, back in 2008, uh, I feel like that's someone who probably would have had the, the kind of raw principle that it would require to be able to look at that objectively. But most people, I think you're right, they, they don't have that, that kind of, of just raw principle to, to back that. Uh, text well, what? and I also think like when you go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, I think like when you look at somebody like Ron Paul, who had lived through, um, you know, all the way from the, the Vietnam Wars and seeing all the death and the destruction that's happened over and over and over and over again and being involved, not only in the being in the military, but also being involved in politics from from a younger age, all the way up to as old as he is, I think that he's seen this repetitive actions, that it would be easier for him than a younger person like Obama, who's just been reading about it in books. Mm -hmm. Someone who so who went straight from state Senate to US Senate to president just like that. Uh, text. Uh, what uh, what what are some of the aspects that that you see that are particularly troubling in the past eight years um, compared to what what President or what candidate Obama said um, compared to what President Obama actually did? Uh, I mean, I think pretty much everything we've mentioned, all the issues we've touched on. There's there's been a huge discrepancy in um, in candidate Obama, um, and we're we're really seeing the the pendulum switch back now. Um, now that Republicans are in power and Democrats are now in the opposition, they're sort of scrambling for what to do. I think also to a, to a degree, Republicans are trying to figure out what to do because for the last eight years, it's been, you know, we're, we're in the opposition. Give us the House. We can stop Obama. Uh, well, we have the House. We'll, we'll give us the Senate. We can really stop Obama. But now we need, you know, we need the presidency. We need to have all three. Um, we need to have all three of those. And now they have it. And do they? I don't even think they have any idea what they're going to do. It's in their court now. But I, I think if you want to look, yeah, if you want to look really um, more deeply into that, like you see more recently, um, I think it was Paul Krugman um, who wrote an article entitled like Deficits Matter Now or something like that. Yes, um, yes. Which, you know, throughout the Obama presidency was all, oh, no, deficits are a good thing. We shouldn't worry about deficits and national debt now. It's like, oh, deficits matter now. Um, uh, I and just, yeah. it's, I think, yeah, I think, what the the be lying not be lying um the underlying um problem this this exposes just the team mentality we have in in american politics now it's, it's not so much about principles it's about the team so um you know republicans who are in opposition you know obama's a dictator he's done all these terrible things um which you know i think we would mostly agree with but now that that they're in power donald trump says you know, has plans to do things just as bad and in some cases even worse. And, but it's totally okay because, you know, our, you know, they, they don't have a problem with centralized power when it's their, um, their guy in charge or their people in charge. It's, it's all about the team. And well, like this, these, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative. So I, I, I identify with these things, which, you know, if you want to really 
dig deep into like the limited government versus big government type of um, ideology, which is supposed to underlie conservatism and um, like modern progressivism. There really there's a, there's a big discrepancy there between like true limited government conservatism, classic liberalism, true um, which you know Republicans, right? yeah, which Republicans, you know, that's supposed to be the the core of what the party is all about, um, and what modern conservatism really is. They're they're really not the same thing, but right. it's we have this this idea ingrained in our heads from a young age that it's you know it's left versus right. Republicans are always you know the right. Democrats are always the left, so you pick a side and you stick with your side, no matter what it is, no matter what the, what you believe in, no matter how much the teams change, um, like ideologically, especially you know during during the campaign. I think we saw a big example of that, which would have been Republican voters' attitudes toward um, towards trade. Um, I think it was before before the primary started, just before it was. Um, I think only eighteen percent of Republicans had a negative view of free trade, whereas. Um, Near the end of the campaign, it was 63% of Republicans had a negative view of free trade. Just a, a drastic, um, complete Jeez, 180 on, on that issue um, because the standard bearer of our party are, you know, the guy leading our team has this opinion. So, you know, we may have we believed have to, this to, to be right know. for yeah. how long, but yeah, we have, you know, we have to support the team. Um, and now I think that's, that's what a lot of, you know, Republicans in office, even Republican voters are like, yeah, you know, I may have said this was, you know, something that should not be allowed. The president should never have this much power. But, but now my guy's in there. I got to support the team. Yep. So it's it's okay. It's okay because it's my guy. It's okay because he's on our team. Um, and I think that's that's the probably one of the biggest factors contributing towards our incredibly polarized, um, just our, our, I guess, political climate as a country over the past several, several years. Um you know, I, I don't want to blame Obama for this because it really wasn't. I mean, Democrats did this when George W. Bush was president. It's it's been going on for a long time, but it's this. You know, you you pick a team, you're on that team, and you don't, you know, you don't differ from that team. You walk the party line, no matter what that line is. And you know, the other side's always viewed as the enemy, even though um, you might have a lot of things in common. But you know, they're they're the other side. You can't do that. Um, don't go against the team. I think that's um, that's something we're really seeing shifting dramatically, drastically. And, you know, to a point, it is entertaining to see, um, you know, you see the left, like, scrambling and saying all these things that they previously would have defended. It's really amazing. It's yeah. really amazing it's, how it's fast the table's just 180 completely turned um, now that the powers have flipped. Now that oh, Democrats yeah. are in, in, the, in the minority and Republicans are in the majority. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. I have never seen yep. so many liberals be okay with going out and buying guns, and <laughs> yeah. and I don't you think I have a very valid point. Yes, I don't think ever. Now, eight years ago was is like a long time, especially since a lot of us are young. Right. Um, I, I think like I don't think I've ever heard the Democrats in my experience in politics ever talk about the constitution as much as I've heard them talk about it in the last two months. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. I mean, I, I You're absolutely right. <laughs> or, I think or really, even... whenever, whenever, um, the, the gold star father, uh, got up there on the DNC and raised up the constitution and like, have Mr. Trump, have you ever read this? And I think mm-hmm. that was the first time like on, on a, on the national spotlight that I ever heard, Democrats even suggest that we even have a constitution, let alone uh, read it. Um, and did they? I, did they even? 
Did they even know he was going to do that? Probably <laughs> not. Probably not. Whenever that, whenever it happened, they probably their faces turned blood red. Probably, and they were like, "Get this guy off the stage right now." He's he's talking complete nonsense. We don't want people to look at the Constitution. Yeah. No, and uh, right. Tex, I I really think that that you had a very important point um, that has really deepened in the past eight years. And you're right; it didn't start with Obama, but I think it has has wildly gotten worse just in the past eight years and in an administration that was that was supposed to be about hope and change um it has been nothing but partisanship and and divide uh and and Uh it's completely about it's my team so now that my team's uh, got the ball in in our court we can be for these things again and I think that is one of the most damaging, not just about Obama's presidency, but just about American politics in general. That is uh, potentially the most damaging aspect of of the way that Americans right now are, are looking at, at politics. And it will be really interesting to see if we keep that up within the next four to eight years um, moving forward. Uh, before we before we transition on to the, the few uh, good things, I, I just want to make sure that either if, if either of you had anything in particular that you wanted to touch on before uh, we transitioned. Uh, no, I, I think we've we've done a good job of covering that. Obviously, um, I mean there there's a lot to say, but um, you can say that about any president. Um, you know, it's it's been an interesting eight years, and it'll be a very interesting next four years. Right. Um, but you know, we, we just have to have to be ready and. Um, look back and learn from the mistakes of, of this administration, especially now that um, now being, I guess we could say, as libertarians, we're somewhat um, affiliated with, you know, the, the party in power now. Um, so, so learn some so lessons much. from how how, Very uh, how the Democrats handled their, um, handled their time in power and, um, and what not to do and what to do. And hopefully we can learn from that. I'm not optimistic. Um, Republicans will, but Wonderful. We, we can always help. <laughs> uh, Michael, anything you have any anything to say on that before we move on? No, I don't think so. I don't think I would add any. I mean, I could I could go on about Common Core and uh, the implementation of that that happened because we we haven't really talked about that and and a lot of the the testing has has been rolled back. I know right. in the in the school systems because of the the fight with with parents and stuff so I, I don't know if we'll see a lot with that with I think every every president likes to do something with education just mm-hmm. uh, I think in the quiet the years they try to the do kids. something yeah 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 and they try to do something to, to save face um, when they're not being very popular and uh, I think we'll see something with Trump but I, I don't I don't know <laughs> we'll see <laughs> okay so so to uh, at that point then um i have two things i believe uh that um i could genuinely look at and say you know what this is something that i can non-sarcastically say thanks obama for <laughs> um but i first want to get your your uh your thoughts on this and 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 what what are some of the good aspects of this passing administration? Uh, we'll start with you, Michael. 
Um, well, my first um, genuine one would be his, Obama's stance towards the drug war. Um, he he didn't go as far as I would like him to go, um, but it, it was more in the lack thereof action of his um, Justice Department um, because they could have gone hard after Colorado and Washington, D.C., and um, – a lot of different other states that have been legalizing marijuana and he they didn't do anything um they didn't go after any of them they let the states experiment and see what happens when we legalize marijuana and whether it was a good for society or if it was a bad for society they let that experiment go and i i I applaud obama for doing that um I also, in that same stroke, I think that his pardons, so I I like that his inaction towards those things, but then his action towards those things, um, and and it was very much within the lines of his power, um, was to pardon um, people for excessive drug um, crimes um, with excessive punishments. we saw that that most of his pardons were were at nonviolent drug crimes, um, and I think that that was that was really um, noble and good of him to use that power of the the presidential pardons to to use them for that. Um, I think that it's very de- those policies are very destructive. I would have liked to see him push for legislation to get rid of minimum sentencing. I think it would have been very popular in the United States um, or even push for something with marijuana, um, at least medically, to be pushed through um, on a federal level. But um, which I, I was I was I was a little bit surprised with the popularity of, of marijuana that they didn't try to push that through. But um, Maybe he he thought that he would do more harm than good with it, since everything else he did more harm than good. So, um, I mean, that's those are are two things that I I think he did really well on. Um, those are the two things that I would say are the top best things. I think he did some other some some good things um, as as being president, but um, those are the two best thing right. i think he's done uh yeah. uh what what uh what are some things if if any maybe you don't have any but what are some things that, that you think that stand out as a little bit more positive than negative yeah i would echo the things that michael just mentioned um you know, I, I don't think there there's a whole lot um there is to praise from this presidency from from my perspective um i would say that in recent i would say in the recent couple of years um towards the end of his presidency you noticed a a a significant shift in his um in his approach and his attitude um you know a lot of a lot of conservatives i don't think will give him credit but um he really did change his approach as far as early on in his presidency he was a very very like you know do it this way or um you know or you hate you know you hate the poor yeah Yeah, very my way or the highway person i think he he pretty quickly realized that 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 didn't work um and as time goes on, you notice that his just his personality and his approach has changed. He's a much less um, sort of my way or the highway. And, you know, he, he is still very ideologically opposed to, to pretty much most of what we believe in. But I, I do respect that he was willing to um, 
to change his approach and change his tone and the way he deals with um, deals with the opposition and the way he um, speaks of them and, and sort of, um, you know, who knows how different this presidency could have been had he taken that approach throughout his entire first term. I think this is this is more of a recent development, um, but I, I do think that is positive. Um, that is one positive thing that that I would recognize him doing in addition to the to things Michael mentioned. Okay, um, I think that that's a pretty valid point because I, I agree I have uh, recognized that in the in the past four years, but I think it, it was a little bit more forced than it was just a natural. Uh, change of heart because I think he realized that I'm I'm losing <laughs> I can't win this battle um, he can win in the polls he can win in popularity but I I think he realized very quickly into his second term that uh, he's he's if he tries to do things like like you said my way the highway then he's not going to have a legacy at all and I think that was very important to him because I think uh, at at the end of the day, he is a bit of a selfish man, but he, it kind of worked a little bit to our benefit um, because he he didn't push for certain things that he would have liked uh, if he didn't realize that from the beginning. Um, I I agree more or less. I agree entirely with what both of you said about um, the the drug aspect of it and. Uh, pardoning people, uh, granting clemencies to, to people specifically with low-level drug offenses. I think that was something that I can pr not just applaud, but proudly applaud him for, um, because his actions towards criminal justice reform in that regard, while it, it, like Michael said, it, it could have gone a lot further, but uh giving credit where credit is due, I think that is one of his strongest aspects. And, and I don't know if, if, if either of you will agree with this uh, on this or not, but I think in particular that his actions, at least until recently, his actions um, in regards to uh, Cuba and normalizing the relations uh, between the countries, uh, I, I see as a net positive uh and I was about to, to just proudly boast that out there until last week or, or over the weekend, whenever it was that he ended the, the wet foot, dry foot uh, policy. That seems, right. like I said, very uh, like a lot of other aspects in his presidency, a bit hypocritical because he claims to, to tout this love for all these refugees and, and immigrants, but yet <laughs> – and in, in probably some of the the most vulnerable uh, refugees in in the world, just a few miles off of our own coast, he's he's cutting that off. So I I look at that and I I, I don't I don't like that. But I think the overall normalization of of relations between our country and theirs, I don't see as a bad thing at all. And if if either of you disagree with that, you're you're free to uh, to mention that. But no, I absolutely agree with uh, with the characterization of that. It's it is unfortunate. It's honestly something that I sort of um, wasn't expecting at all. It just sort of came out of nowhere. It really was. Well, it it took me um, like but, you know, my I'm, shock. Yeah, yeah. It's just something that I got a notification on my phone one day. I was just like that just shocked me. It sort of came out of nowhere. Um, it was very unexpected. And I. And I never would have thought he'd be the one to end that policy. I thought that'd be more of a, of a Trump sort of thing, you know. But um, 
Yeah. Well, I do think but, that I, I think in in place one of the reasons that it, it it makes in line with it is this this idea that they that the Democrats have held up Castro as being a a good and decent person. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you they tried to normalize Cuba, it's not because they normalize them and saying that we're going to start free trade with you in hopes that you will become more democratic and that you guys will get rid of communism. It's it's more that normalizing them in the aspect that we're accepting communism as a good and way of ruling over people. Uh, and I think in doing that, he has to say, you can't run away from your country anymore because it's a good country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's I, the only I, way I can logically conclude on why he would say something like that. I, I, I agree with that because it, it, it really doesn't make any sense. It, it makes no sense as to why of all the things that he could possibly do in some of his final acts, some of the trademark acts that, that will be felt in just the final days of his administration, that that would be one of them, a stick in the eye to, to certain uh, refugees. That, that just dumbfounded me. Absolutely dumbfounded well, me. But I know we were supposed to be talking about the positive aspects. I guess we couldn't go yeah, too far into one, that yeah. without <laughs> we couldn't go too far into that without uh, backtracking a little bit. Uh, and I know Michael, you had one other positive aspect that we could all, I think, agree on. Well, uh, yes, the one, the best thing that happened during the Obama administration was the Biden memes. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, there. I mean, there's not nothing that will ever. I don't, I don't think that Trump can trump it. I don't know. You want to challenge him because he's would, pretty. He's pretty determined to win on every single aspect. I don't think he can beat the Biden memes. They're hilarious. I mean, I think sure. they will continue for years. I certainly hope they do. I'd be disappointed if they didn't. I mean, and let's face it. Mike Pence will never be able to make no beat no, Biden. Not at all. No. <laughs> No, I think I think the roles I think the roles will be flipped, and I think yes. uh, the presidency the president will get all the memes, and the vice president will just kind of be the boring one and just being like, okay, we don't care about <laughs> you. Let's just give us more of this guy so we can so we can make fun of him all the time. But and I, I think it's very funny because like surprisingly, memes are actually becoming a an international like. I, I honestly believe that that we are going to be reading about memes. Our children will be reading about memes in history books. I mean, the yes. embassy in Russia tweeted a meme <laughs> giving a passive aggressive hit at the president. Like <laughs> you you cannot that I it's it's hard to even fathom that. It's hard to to wrap your head around that. That's it's insane. Um but on that point, um that is about all the time we have today, so I would like to thank both uh, Tex and, and Michael for joining me for this episode of, of Mill Liberty. We've had a, a uh, great opening to, uh, to our show um, in, these, in these first few weeks and months, and uh, I'm very happy with the way that the show is running. Um, and, and in case you missed uh, this announcement that we, we recently made, we recently... Uh, announced our all-star lineup at that we will be having at the students for Liber- international students for liberty conference in washington dc um from february the 17th to the uh 19th and and we will have uh a round table like this except it will be in person 
Um, and if you are there, you will be able to, to come up and, and watch it and listen to it uh, with us. And then we'll have that episode available on that Saturday. We will have the likes of people like uh, Zuri Davis, uh, uh, Jeffrey Tucker um, returning. Then we'll have uh, some fresh faces, uh, Jacob Richards, who's, a, who's an outset um, contributor, and uh, Josh uh, Guckert, who is an associate editor for Libertarian Public, all will be on a panel with, with uh, myself, and we will have another roundtable just like this here, and we will be talking about um, the state of liberty and the future of liberty throughout uh, around the globe, and very much looking forward to that. So be sure to, if you're going to be there, be sure to uh, to check us out and, and, and come and watch us and listen to us and greet with us. Um, until then, I want to give each of you a chance to give a, a, tw a Twitter and social media shout-out. So, uh, Tex, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, uh, if you want to see some um, mediocre tweets, be sure and follow me, at Tex Fisher. Um, that's T-E-X-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Um, be sure and, and follow me there. I like to ra rail on the post office and um, that, that's where... just make obscure... Inside jokes uh, as often as possible. That's where the NSA goes to goes to find who's who's planning on destroying the post office with text. Uh, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, that's, I mean it's it's not so much of a destruction; it's more of just like a, a an abolition. So, you can <laughs> but if 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 you saw a post office that was up in flames, you would not like stop to put it out. No, I wouldn't be upset in the least bit. No, I would not stop it. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. Uh, oh, ahead, my Michael. Twitter. My uh, Twitter account is at Michael um, underscore Esh. It's E-S-C-H. Um, and you can just find me there. All right. And you can, of course, find me um, at Caleb Franz. And you can find the show where you get all the updates about the show here um, at Liberty on Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode. And uh, you'll get them instantaneously. Next week, we're going to have a very, I think, a very important one, and I'm going to try to make it as comprehensive and complete as possible. Uh, a very important episode on uh, the pro-life movement within the liberty movement, and it's, it's going to be very good, and I hope you join us next week for that. Um, but until then, we'll see you then.